Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 19, 3 through 10. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you heard, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciple said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Won't you please pray with me for a moment? Lord, we're so thankful that your word speaks to the reality of life and relationships. And we thank you, Lord, that we have a church where we can explore these realities together to see how your word can instruct and inspire us to go out and live as your people. So we open our hearts now. We open our minds. We open our ears and we invite the spirit to speak and we receive as faithful and obedient people in Jesus name we pray and all God's people said well welcome back to our series on Jesus we have been studying the life and the teachings of Jesus for several months now looking at things Jesus said and things that he did and how that impacts our life today and for the past few weeks we've been looking at what Jesus has to say about romance and and marriage and physical intimacy and those sorts of issues and we're wrapping this section up today We're talking about what Jesus had to say about marriage. And as we've been saying in in each week in this series, Jesus had a very high standard, the the standard of the first century uh, Jews, which was physical intimacy was this very special gift that God had entrusted to humanity, and it was to be used in the context of marriage, to be celebrated in the context of marriage. That if you were single, you were to stay celibate, you were to abstain, and once you were married, you were to be exclusive and faithful to your spouse for the rest of your life. In today's scripture lesson, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees about this issue of divorce and divorce and remarriage, and uh, Pastor Mark did a great job of talking about that a couple weeks ago. But you have to remember, in the first century, women were considered inferior to men. Sorry, ladies, that's the way it was in the first century. And... Uh, Men could divorce women, but women couldn't divorce men. So a man could divorce his wife, but a wife couldn't initiate divorce against her husband. And uh, divorce laws were kind of uh, loose in those days. All a guy had to do was write a little certificate of divorce, give it to his wife, and tell her to get out. And so in that day, there were men who were abusing the easy divorce laws, and they were sending their wives away so they could get a new wife, kind of trading in the old model for the new model, and uh, kind of doing that without uh, providing for... The, the women and the women were in positions of economic uh, struggle and they're put in very difficult situations. And, and so Jesus, in uh, reaffirming the, the traditional view of marriage, is standing up for women who are in very difficult situations. He's, he's protecting these women who are being mistreated by uh, men and lax divorce laws. But in doing so, Jesus also takes the men, because he's speaking to pr- primarily to men when he's doing this teaching in today's scripture, He speaks to men about God's original intention for marriage in the first place. 
which was two people coming together to be together as one for their entire life. And, and in doing that, Jesus goes back to the, the story of creation in Genesis, how God created Adam and Eve. And Jesus quotes two different passages, one from Genesis 1 and one from Genesis 2, how God made them male and female for one another. And then Jesus said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Those whom God has joined, let no one separate. And this is such a, a hard teaching for the men to hear and understand. Some of them say, ho, 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 man, it would be better not to marry if that's the case. And Jesus says, well, not everybody is meant to marry. But if you do get married, understand, this is a, an intimate relationship that is under God and it's meant to be two becoming one for life. Now, uh, the truth of the matter is that even today is a hard teaching for some of us. And but we're going to talk about what it looks like when two people enter into this sacred and holy union and become one. We're going to talk about that today because I think it's really important, especially in, in our context. But before we talk about that, I want to say a word to the single people here today. If you're unmarried, I, I want to say something to you because it's really important for us to understand what the Scripture is saying here. It's not saying... The Bible nowhere says that marriage is a half a person and a half a person coming together to make a whole person. The equation here is not half plus a half equals a whole. It's one plus one equals a new kind of one, a special kind of one. And if you're single, I want you to hear that because sometimes in our culture and sometimes in your families and sometimes with your friends, if you're single, you are sometimes led to believe that you're not a complete and full person until you get married. That you're, you're kind of just a, a half a person waiting for someone to come along and, and marry you and make you whole. And sometimes we married folks kind of talk about our spouse as our other half or our better half. And we, we kind of unintentionally kind of paint this kind of, of picture for folks. Here's what I want you to understand. If you are single, if you are not married, you're a whole person. Being unmarried doesn't make you half a person. Can I get an amen on that? Right? Back in 1996, Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger were in that uh, movie, uh, Jerry Maguire. Remember, some of you remember that movie? Jerry Maguire. The famous scene in that movie where Tom Cruise's character confesses his great love for Renee Zellweger's character. And they look at each other across the room. And after he confesses his love for her, he says this to her. You remember what he says? You complete me. You complete me. Which I suppose... Might be a romantic line in a movie, but that's not what marriage is about. Marriage is not about an incomplete person wandering around hoping to find that special someone who will finally complete them. That's not love. You know what that is? That's codependency. That's dysfunction. Right? In a healthy, God-honoring marriage, it's two whole people, but perhaps... Two people who are less than perfect, but still whole, experiencing together a level of unity and intimacy under God that is unique and special, that it can only be described, as Jesus describes it, as the Bible describes it, as two becoming one. And if you're married, you know that this is a unique relationship. And it's a unique relationship that requires a unique level of commitment. In fact, the Hebrews 
had a special word for this sacred covenant, this, this marriage covenant. Uh, they, they used the word kedushin. Kedushin is a word that means totally surrendered to God, uniquely His possession. And when a man and a woman were entering into the sacred marriage covenant in the ancient days, the Hebrews would call it kedushin, this, this word that we sometimes get our word holy from. Holy marriage, holy matrimony. Two people becoming one under God. That's why Jesus says, those whom God has joined, let no one separate. And this is why the Bible speaks out against divorce. Now, Mark Montgomery, a couple weeks ago, devoted a whole sermon to divorce and remarriage and how we understand that in our modern cultural context. So we're not going to go over all that ground this morning. I'd encourage you, if you want to take in that sermon, you can go to our website and let's do it. Mark did a great job of explaining it to us. But let me just say this. While divorce is not God's intention and not God's best for us, there are times when marriages end in divorce. And here's what you need to understand if you're here today and you've been divorced. You are not rejected by God. Yes, the Bible says that God hates divorce, but the Bible never says that God hates divorced persons or people who have been through divorce. And if you have been through divorce or if you've had a friend or family member who has walked through the pain and the brokenness of a divorce, you know the last thing they need is for someone to preach at them and tell them that God's upset with them because their marriage didn't work out. And uh, look, God hates, hates divorce because of the pain it inflicts on people and the brokenness that, that it brings to the human condition. But God loves you, even if you've been through that experience. And if you've been made to feel by the church or by other Christian friends as, as if you're rejected by God because you've had a failed marriage, let me apologize on behalf of the church and on behalf of other Christians. And let me remind everyone that God is in the healing and restoration business. Can I get an amen on that? Right? But whether you're married or not, whether you're single or not, whether you're divorced or not, marriage is a holy relationship. It's a unique relationship. And because of that, it requires a unique level of commitment and it requires a unique level of investment of time, effort, and energy. It is work. It is hard work to keep a marriage going. It's good work. It's fruitful work. It can be fun work, but it is work. Intentional effort applied over a long period of time, over a lifetime, yields a a beautiful and wonderful marriage. You know, the truth is anything really valuable and beautiful requires a deep level of commitment, and marriage is certainly meant to be a beautiful thing. And so we're going to talk this morning about the the kind of commitment required for two people in a holy relationship to become one, the way Jesus intended. We're going to talk today about the commitment required for a holy marriage. And uh, as we talk about this, there are lots of different commitments we could mention, but I'm just going to mention three really important commitments that must be in your marriage for you to experience marriage the way Jesus describes it here in today's Scripture lesson. So here's the first commitment. Learn to behave in a loving way toward your spouse, whether you feel like it or not. Learn to behave in a loving way toward your spouse, whether you feel like it or not. We've said this many times here, but we'll say it again. Love is a skill we develop, not a feeling we feel. Love is not primarily an emotion. We're taught by our culture to think of love in terms of a feeling. The songs we hear on the radio, the love stories we see on the movie screen, the books we read, the stories we tell, we tend to think that love is what happens when your heart goes pitter-patter and you get goosebumps. Now look, friends, 
Feelings are wonderful. Emotions are a wonderful gift from God. We are emotional creatures. But the feelings that we feel when we're, when we're in ro- a romantic relationship, the feelings of attraction and affection and euphoria, that's not love. That's, that's a feeling, and it could lead to love, but it's just an emotional, physiological response to being attracted to someone and to have affection towards someone. The heart going pitter-patter and the goosebumps are great, but they will not sustain a relationship. And if you've been married for more than five years, you've probably already figured that out, haven't you? See, early in a romantic relationship, when love is new and the feelings are flowing and you're feeling it, it's easy to be have in loving ways toward your spouse. It's easy to give them your attention. It's easy to listen to them and ask them questions and, and want to get to know them. It's easy to be respectful and caring when the feelings are flowing and you're feeling it because the feelings are driving everything. But as time marches on and as the relationship begins to, to settle a little bit and the feelings aren't quite as intense as they used to be, that's when you've got to make an intentional decision to keep on behaving toward your spouse the way you did when love was fresh and you were feeling it. Because now the relationship is not driven by emotion. Now the relation is driven by a commitment to be a loving person in this marriage relationship. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. I am not suggesting that once you get married and the honeymoon is over, then you just have to Trudge along and do your duty and try to survive until death do you part. I'm not saying that. The truth of the matter is, you can, ha- you can be married for an entire lifetime. And you can have a loving, joyful, affectionate, fun relationship. But here's the deal. It takes effort and work and you have to be intentional about it because now it's not driven by fleeting emotions how you feel in the moment. Now it's driven by an intentional commitment to behave in a loving way. 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter in the Bible that often gets read on people's wedding day. The Apostle Paul giving us this beautiful description of love. I'd encourage you to go home and read it today. This is the biblical definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And notice what's missing in the definition. Feelings. Paul doesn't say, this is how you'll feel. When love comes. That's not what he says. He says this is what love is. And then he goes on to describe a whole set of behaviors. Patience. Kindness. Not rude. Not selfish. Not easily angered. Rejoicing in the right. Protecting. Trusting. Persevering. These are actions we engage in. Not emotions we experience. And so we must be sure to make the commitment to... Engage in the behaviors that build and create an environment where love is celebrated and where two become one. So if you're married, do the work. Go out on a regular date together, whether you feel like it or not. Turn off the television and have a conversation together, whether you feel like it or not. Have a real conversation, not just to talk about logistics. I tell couples sometimes, if the only thing you're talking about as a couple is who's picking up the kids, who's paying the electric bill, who's going to call the plumber about that leak in the refrigerator, if that's the only kind of conversations you're having, you need to step back and say, hold it, hold it. Our relationship is getting kind of superficial. Now, you need to have those logistical conversations. Otherwise, the kids get left and the bills don't get paid, right? So you have to have them. But but you need more than that. Talk about how your day went. Talk about... 
what went well and what didn't go well, what your hopes and dreams are for the future. See, love is a skill we develop. And here's the good news. The more we practice it, the better we get at it. It gets easier over time because of the kind of person we're becoming. We're actually becoming a person who now has the skill to love well. And you and your spouse are on the journey to becoming one because you've chosen to behave in a loving way toward each other rather than just depending on your feelings all the time. So that's the first commitment. Now here's the second commitment. Keep learning. Keep learning. I love what it says in, in the, the book of Proverbs. It says, seek out wisdom. You've got to pursue wisdom. And wisdom in relationships is so vital and so important. And there's so much to learn when you get married. So much to discover. I've told you this story before, but let me tell you again. Uh, before I got married, Lynn and I got engaged in August of 1984. That's how long ago it was. 1984, we got engaged. And our wedding was planned for May of 1985. And so I had several months before our wedding day, and I decided I was going to read a book about marriage. Because, you know, I grew up in home. My parents had had a pretty good marriage, but I didn't know much about it. And so I, I began reading, and I read this book on marriage, and I found it so helpful that I made a commitment that I would read one book on marriage every year uh, from then on. And then I've been married going on 31 years, and uh, I've read a lot of books on marriage. Now, some books I read just remind me of what I already know, but it's good to be reminded, isn't it? Some books I read every now and then, I'll get a new insight, a new little nugget that can help me as I apply it to my marriage. But all the time, when I read a book on marriage, it refocuses me, it re-motivates me, it re-inspires me to invest in this relationship. So, so keep learning, keep learning. I was uh, a couple years ago having a conversation with a young couple in their early 20s. Uh, they were getting ready to get married, and they were uh, talking with me about their previous relationships in high school and in college and how some of those relationships didn't end very well and the pain they experienced and uh, how when they finally found each other, everything just clicked and it felt so right. And, and the, uh, the guy looks at, at his future wife, and he's holding her hand, and he, he looks at me and he says, you know, I feel like we made it through the school of hard knocks and we finally graduated from the University of Love. And I explained to him, hey, hey, pal, you didn't graduate. You're just now enrolling in the University of Love. Because you learned some things in marriage that you could never learn just dating and from previous relationships. And guess what? School is always in session. There's no spring break. And sometimes the homework is difficult. But that's the beauty. That, that's the learning process. I tell you, to, to become the kind of person who can love well requires learning on our part to do our homework, to keep going, to develop ourselves. If, if you're married, you, you went down to the courthouse at some point and you, you got a, a wedding license. But that's not a wedding license. That's a learner's permit. And, and you've got to devote yourself for the rest of your life, to be a lifelong learner in this area of how to have a great marriage. Hey, the best gift you can give your spouse and your kids is not a nice house in a good school district. The best gift you can give your spouse and your kids is not braces on their teeth. The best gift you can give your spouse and your kids is become an amazing person who is so skilled at loving well 
that you can experience what it's like when two become one. And there are plenty of resources available to help us. That's what's great. Books, audio CDs, podcasts, classes, seminars, retreats, counselors. Here at Ebenezer, you you may know in February we're going to have a seminar on your time-starved marriage, how to make time for one another. What's amazing is what's out there. And if you've got a a problem or a challenge in your relationship right now, in in your marriage, uh, that's simply a feedback loop to tell you this is an area where you need to develop some skill, gain some insight. And whatever problem you might have in your relationship, somebody else has had that same problem and they've written a book about it and you can learn from their experience and figure out how to make it better. So keep learning. I can remember my freshman year in college, first semester. I had made it all the way through high school and into college by never reading the textbook, right? All throughout high school. I did pretty well, got good grades. Basically, I just paid attention in class, took decent notes, and then on the tests, I relied on what I'd learned by, by listening to, but I, but I hated reading textbooks, and so I, I didn't do it. When I got to college, I took an introduction to sociology. Dr. Warner, first day of class, stood up and looked at us, and he, he just knew. He said, some of you are here today And you got here today and you've never read a textbook. He said, not in my class. And then he held up the textbook. He said, we'll be reading three chapters a week. And every Friday you're going to have a quiz on the reading. And he said, let me just put it to you this way. In this class, you will read or you will fail. And then to make sure we got it, he said, let me put it bluntly. Read or die. (laughs) And so that was the first class where I actually read the chapters, in the, and you know what? I learned more in that class than any other class because there's something about having to learn in order to pass the test. In your marriage, in my marriage, there's all kinds of tests, and we have the opportunity to learn and grow from those. And there's all kinds of resources to help us. The skills involved in a marriage, conflict resolution, time management, financial management, self-control, forgiveness, communication, servant leadership. Oh my gosh, what learning those lessons and developing those skills will do for us. See, we don't stop trying because love dies. Love dies because we stop trying. And Jesus tells us God's intention for marriage is two whole but imperfect people coming together to be united, to learn and grow together. It requires a very unique level of commitment. So make the commitment to behave in a loving way toward your spouse even when you don't feel like it and to keep learning and growing because our marriages get better when we get better and we only get better when we apply ourselves diligently to pursuing wisdom. And the good news is wisdom's available. So finally, here's, here's the final commitment we'd encourage you to make to experience what Jesus describes as two becoming one. Stay strong in the Lord. Stay strong in the Lord. Hey, I'm a preacher. You know I'm going to say that, but it's true. Stay strong in the Lord together, having a spiritual foundation for your marriage. Because intimacy is fundamentally a spiritual reality, not just a physical reality. And true intimacy requires spiritual vitality. That's why the Bible encourages us not to marry someone who doesn't have a spiritual foundation or a spiritual value along with us. See, if, if you're married to a spouse and your spouse makes fun of your faith, or is indifferent to your faith, or teases you, or, or, or doesn't want to pray with you, doesn't want to go to church with you, doesn't want to be in a small group with you, doesn't want to open up the Holy Scriptures and 
be open to the Word of God. You know, they're just not interested in that. Uh, you'll find that it, it has an effect on your relationship. Many times when, when uh, someone is young and they, they meet someone, they, they kind of feel like this is the one and they decide to get married, uh, they'll look at all the different characteristics that make this the right person for them, but they'll overlook the spiritual one. And they'll think, well, maybe that won't matter. As long as I can do my thing spiritually and they, they don't have a big issue with it, that'll, that'll work out. But I'll tell you a lot of times... What doesn't seem like a big deal when you first get married becomes a big deal later on. Marry somebody who shares your desire to stay strong in the Lord. Now, to those of you who may be married and your spouse doesn't share that value, uh, please don't send me an email. Don't be upset with me. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I'm not saying your marriage is bad. I'm not saying your spouse is, is a bad person. But what I'm saying is when your spouse doesn't share this very important value, there will always be a part of the relationship where you, you can't experience the kind of intimacy that Jesus is describing here. See, marriage is meant to be a spiritual union, a kedushin, two people together under God. It's not just emotional, physical. It's you and your spouse building together a spiritual foundation. And if your spouse doesn't have that interest, uh, it's hard. But if your spouse doesn't have that interest, let me just encourage you. Don't bug them. Don't harass them. Don't preach at them. Pray for your spouse and be a role model for your spouse. Maybe you've heard of the name Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is a well-known author and teacher, devout Christian. He, his book's The Case for Christ, Case for Christianity. All those books have uh, been bestsellers. Uh, Lee Strobel tells about how he came to faith in Christ. He and his wife uh, were having a lot of uh, tension in their marriage. And uh, she began going to church. And she accepted Christ as her Savior. And Lee found that absolutely ridiculous. He was an avowed atheist. He teased her. He mocked her. He argued with her when she would go to church. And sometimes when she'd take the kids, he wouldn't like that. And he'd stay at home while she went. And he'd make fun of her when he'd catch her reading her Bible and praying. And, and then he began to notice how his wife began to change. And become a, a different kind of person. And then one day, finally, the Lord got to his heart. And in tears, Lee went to his wife and asked for her to forgive him for being such a jerk in their marriage. And said, I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what you've got. But I want it too. And that was for him the beginning of coming to faith. And I'm not su suggesting, I'm not saying, I'm not promising that if you'll be that way in your marriage, your spouse will, will come to you someday and, and ask for that too. But what I'm saying is simply this. Uh, if you preach at them and try to judge them and be harsh with them, that'll just continue to harden their heart. So the best thing you do is pray for them and be a witness. But the ultimate purpose in marriage is to have a, a spiritual union. Because it's not simply about our happiness, it's about our holiness. See, the reason why Christians get married in a church by a Christian pastor is because they recognize that this is a sacred covenant, a holy marriage, a kedushin, devoted to the Lord and uniquely His. And when we forget that, when we forget that, then the marriage just becomes, or the wedding just becomes, all about the dresses and the tuxedos and the flowers and the photographer and the wedding cake and marching down the aisle. It becomes, the wedding becomes, you know what it becomes? It becomes a pageant to honor Cupid. Instead of a sacred commitment to a holy God. A God who created us for one another. 
and invites us to become one flesh. The disciples, recognizing how hard this was, said to Jesus, man, it's, if that's the way it's supposed to be, it's better not to marry. And Jesus would, would say, oh, it's, it's good to marry, but it is hard. And so he speaks to us from the pages of Scripture today and say, hey, if you want to experience it, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but you've got to do the work. You've got to behave lovingly, you've got to keep learning, and you've got to stay strong in the Lord, because unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. Maybe you read the past couple weeks about Lawrence Ripple of Kansas City, Kansas. Did you hear the story? 70-year-old guy walked into a bank in Kansas City, gave the teller a note that said, I have a gun, give me all your money. The teller nervously bundled up the cash, over $3,000, put it in a bag and gave it to him. He took the money and then he went and sat down in a chair in the lobby of the bank and waited to be arrested. And uh, when they asked him why he did it, he said simply this, he said, I would rather go to jail and be a prisoner than stay married to my wife. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of you here today maybe feel like your marriage is a prison. Or maybe you feel like, you know, maybe maybe marriage isn't all it's cracked up to be. Here's, here's what Jesus would say. It's not for everybody. But for those who are married, it's meant to be a sacred union. It's meant to be for you an expression of spiritual intimacy that can only be described as two becoming one. Because it's not fundamentally about our happiness, it's about our holiness. But when we pursue holiness, we get happiness thrown in as well. And when we embrace the commitments that love requires, we discover the joy of when two become one.